aren't Swiss, German, and Marshall just lumped you in with the rest of us. He's just talking about how buttoned down many of us are. You probably got that. And that's true. But hey, thanks for uh, swimming along with us this morning and uh, being good sports with that. Jeremy has, I think, carried a vision for this since he found out that we're going to be talking about relationships today. I thought it was interesting this morning, if you were in the Sunday school hour, how much Chris Ivey talked about relationships and how important it is to be connected to each other. And uh, I knew because, I thought about it because I knew what I was going to be speaking about, that he's sort of laying the groundwork for what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to start by asking you to think about the, the term Lone Ranger and what comes to mind for you when you hear that term, Lone Ranger. I, I don't know about you, but for me, it mostly, I think of somebody who stands on their own, right? Somebody who decides things on their own, takes actions on their own, doesn't really need to check in with other people, and probably tries not to check in with other people because they don't really care about other people's approval, what have you. Um, if you're a good American, you probably think this is a good thing. And in fact, many of the heroes of our movies are Lone Ranger type people, right? They, they kind of step forward and do things on their own when other people aren't. And I suppose we do value that in the Christian community as well. We want to be able to stand for ourselves when things are tough. But when I looked it up this week, I discovered, uh, which I don't know, maybe you know this or not, but the, the term Lone Ranger is the name for a character that started out as a fictional character, a made-up story from the 1930s. Radio dramas. Somebody wrote a radio drama featuring this person called the Lone Ranger. There you see him. It later became a TV show. That's why we have pictures to look at. Some of you may remember this in the 1950s and probably reruns in the 60s. I don't know. Um, But uh, this is a Western drama. You know, the Lone Ranger was somebody who brought the bad guys to justice. Turns out the backstory, the reason he's called the Lone Ranger, which I did never, I never knew this, is that he was one of only six Texas Rangers. He was part of a, a group of, again, this is a fictional story. He's part of a group of six Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers were kind of like the, the roaming state police of Texas. Well, it's this big territory out west, and, and they were enforcing the law and bringing people to justice. Anyway, he was part of a band of six of them who were chasing this band of outlaws, and the outlaws turned on them at one point and attacked them and killed all but one of them. And several hours later, a Native American came onto this scene and found that there was one person still alive, and so he rescued him and nursed him back to health and eventually became his indispensable helper and friend. And so in the TV series, at least, I believe, he, he was always had this companion, and you probably remember his name, right? Tonto, right. Now, some of you are wondering how you know that, but uh, I'm not sure how I know it either, but <laughs> I know his name is Tonto. So anyway, so over time, this term Lone Ranger, though, came to mean more than just this character. It came to kind of take on a, a, a broader meaning in our culture, which is somebody who acts on their own. But what I thought was really interesting is to learn that, guess what? The Lone Ranger wasn't really a Lone Ranger. He would never have survived if not for the help of a compassionate person. Somebody else came along and saved his life and then became his friend. And if you know the story, I'm trying to remember if I've ever heard the story or watched it, but my sense is that Tonto was an indispensable aid to him. He, he scouted things out. He, he uh, went and ran errands for him and kind of backed him up in different situations. And so even the Lone Ranger wasn't a Lone Ranger. And I think the title Lone Ranger is a lot easier to remember than the only surviving ranger. That's probably why they didn't just call it the only surviving ranger TV show. 
but it took on a meaning broader than what we imagined. Well, so what, is tr- what was true for the Lone Ranger, I'm going to tell you this morning, is true for the rest of us, and that is that we need each other. We need other people. We need each other. And I want to talk, emphasize two important ways. One is not really a specifically religious or Christian way, but it's just simply that we need each other as human beings. We were created to be social beings. And you just can't be a normal, healthy, functioning human being without other people on your own. You just can't. You and I need other people to be normal, healthy human beings. So, a lot of what I want to say this morning is kind of be review for many of us, but I think it's helpful for us to do a checkup every now and then and say, well, how well am I connected to other people? I think in the, in the rush and flow of our lives, sometimes we take other people for granted, our connections to them. And this morning, I just want to give us a moment to pause and think about this, because relationships are one of the other things that God has given us that enriches our lives. But as some of you know, I in my uh, earlier, in my college years, I studied sociology and found it to be a really, I enjoyed it a lot. One of the things I learned there was that you can't develop a sense of identity as a person. You can't develop a sense of who you are without other people. You never, probably never stop to think about that, but the, the way you develop a sense of where you live and what people you're part of and what's important all comes out of your interaction with other people. You can't develop language in the absence of other people. In fact, one of the things that's true about children who either purposefully or accidentally end up growing up in relative isolation is that they really struggle to learn language when they engage with human society. One of the biggest struggles they have is to learn to speak. So you can't really develop a sense of yourself, you can't really speak, you can't develop a sense of what's important or your worldview without other people around you. That's because we were designed to live and work and learn and play in, in the context of other people. And even people who think of themselves as loners get their ideas about what that looks like from other people. I remember when I was a teenager, what was cool when I was a teenager a long time ago was uh, bell-bottom jeans, which were so cool. They just still are, even though they're, they're dated and I don't wear them anymore. And for guys, long hair was the way to be cool and unique. And I, I really wanted nothing more than to grow my hair long. But the problem for me was that, you know, you won't believe this now, but when I was a teenager, when I, I grew my hair long, it grew out. It didn't grow down. So those flowing tresses were not an option for me, so I never really was able to grow the cool long hair. But what I realized was that my ideas about what was cool and unique were drawn from other people. I was just choosing to be like these people and not like those people. I wasn't thinking up any of this stuff on my own. But this isn't a sociology lecture, so we're going to leave this one aside. Um, just wanted to start there. I want you to pull out from your bulletin. There's a green sheet in the bulletin, and on there, there's a grid on the one side. And we're going to use this this morning. I want you to just uh, use this to do a Lone Ranger checkup. On the first column there, we've listed a bunch of different relationships, ways you might be connected to other people. The second column, and I want you to put an X or a check mark in each box where there is someone listed on the left who is serving you in some way, someone who, from whom you are receiving help or support or relationship. Somebody's caring for you or looking out for you. So I want you to go ahead and do that now while I'm speaking. The third column is someone that you are serving, 
So in, this set, in, in the third column, you're giving in relationship. You're giving encouragement, help, support. You're giving relationship to someone. Now, some of the, in some of these cases that, for instance, the second one there, if you're married and you have a spouse, a husband or wife, I hope that you can honestly say, I'm, I'm giving in that relationship and I'm also receiving in that relationship. So you can use this to do a, a little bit of a Lone Ranger checkup. How much of a Lone Ranger am I? How, how disconnected or connected to other people am I? Well, you've already heard that today is the, the last sermon in our series on not really mine, this, these themes of not really mine. We've been showing you this image of these different areas of life that God has provided for us. The one I, these are the ones I was referring to earlier uh, where I, I said I feel, as I've reflected on this, I feel like a very rich person because I realize God has given me a lot of these things. But we've looked at them, and I, I think we've been looking at them saying, well, we need to hold them lightly in some ways uh, because they aren't really ours. They've been given to us by God. Another thing that stands out to me is that we didn't think any of these things up. We didn't go out and, and pick these things. They were just provided to us by God. We were born into them. And as we've been saying, I, I believe that all of these things were given to us for at least three reasons. And you can listen to the earlier sermons if you want to, if you want to hear more this in more depth. But God gave us these three things, or these six, seven things to enjoy These are the things that enrich human life. So God has given us these things to enjoy, but God has also given them to us to manage. The second reason is for God is for us to manage them or to develop them, to help them grow or to help them uh, maintain order in our lives. And the third reason is to bless other people. God has entrusted, given us these things to use as, as as means by which we bless other people. So to enjoy, to manage, and then to bless other people. So, as you think about this table of relationships this morning, I think this is another area in which to sort of take inventory in our lives and say, in what ways am I enjoying the relationships that God has given to me? In what ways am I developing or investing in the relationships that God has given to me? And in what ways am I blessing other people? In what relationships am I giving back or blessing other people with the ways God has enriched my life? So the first way we need each other is just to be normal, healthy human beings. But the second way we need each other is is maybe as important, more important, and that is that we need each other as followers of Jesus. We need each other as followers of Jesus. Just like you can't be a normal, healthy human being without relationship, so too you can't be a, a normal, healthy, functioning follower of Jesus without relationship. Surrendering your life to Christ, starting on the journey of faith of following Jesus, yes, it includes a a personal encounter with God. It means acknowledging your sin, confessing your sin and your inability to, to fix the brokenness in your own life. It means understanding the love of God that is so profound that God has moved toward you in your brokenness and in your darkness that God has sent His Son to, to, to sacrifice His life to, so that your sins can be forgiven, as we were singing earlier this morning. It means turning away from your sin. It means a restored relationship with God so that you once again become His child and you understand His love for you in an in a even more personal way. And it means welcoming God to continue to work within you. Welcome is transforming touch in your life. But all of those things we think of as individual encounters with God, individual experiences with God. 
But surrendering your life to Christ also joins you with His people, the other people who've also done that, the other people who have turned to Christ and surrendered their lives to Him. It draws you into the ongoing life of a faith community like this one, like, like this congregation. It draws you into our, a life of faith together because there is no such thing in the New Testament as a lone ranger Christian. The, this, the New Testament just knows nothing of somebody following Jesus in isolation from other people. Now, I think you can see this clearly in two of the things that Jesus said at the Last Supper. I'm going to look at the Gospel of John with, with you this morning. The night that Jesus was arrested, the day before He was crucified, you'll remember that He celebrated a Passover meal with His disciples that evening beforehand. And He used it as an opportunity to talk with them at length, to remind them of some things, to tell them some new things. In fact, it fills up five chapters of the book of John. If you realize that, those five chapters together are what theologians call the upper room discourse, although it's not really a discourse because there isn't a lot of question and answer. It's mostly Jesus talking. There are a few questions, but mostly it's Jesus teaching. Uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all Jesus in the upper room on the night before He was arrested teaching His disciples. One of the things that He says early on, the first thing I want you to notice is this. This is chapter 13. I know a, a new command I give you, love one another. It strikes me that He says, a new command I give you, I can't imagine this is a totally new idea to them, but maybe he hasn't said it to them quite like this, quite this specifically, but he says here, a new command I give to you this night, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, you've seen the way I've loved you. You've experienced my love for you as individuals and as a group, and now I'm calling you to step up your game, I think is kind of implicit here. I'm calling you to love each other the way you've seen me love you. In fact, he says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the main ways people are going to know that you are following me is because they're going to be able to look at you and see the way you love each other and say, wow, something's different there. He's saying, you need each other. I think he's also saying, I needed you. He, he needed them to be in relationship. Jesus wouldn't have, his, his ministry would have made no sense in isolation. He needed the other people around him to walk with, to hear his teaching, to interact with. So the Bible doesn't say it quite like this, but you'll understand when I say, even Jesus wasn't a lone ranger, right? Even Jesus wasn't a lone ranger. It's not something we aspire to. You can't follow me, he says, without following my most basic command, which is to love each other. And you can't follow that command if you live your life in isolation, keeping other people at arm's length, hiding away somewhere by yourself. So the first thing he says in this teaching to them is love one another. And one of the main ways people are going to know that you're my disciples is they're going to look at you and say, wow, something's different about them. There are people loving each other who shouldn't be or who we wouldn't expect to be. So in their time, to have a rich person and a poor person treat each other as equals Treat each other as, as brother and sister in Christ would have been head-scratchingly strange. It's maybe not quite as strange in our time, but it's still a little unusual. But in the church, in the body of Christ, our call is to love, to walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we're rich or poor or slave or free. In the church of the New Testament, slaves 
we're at the same worshiping body as free people, caring for each other, loving each other. In our time, maybe, I mean, we don't, we don't have black slaves in our time, but the legacy of slavery is such that there's a divide between blacks and whites in our country that we're still wrestling with. But in the church, hopefully, it's a place where people of whatever skin color love each other deeply, profoundly, treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and have no regard for the color of their skin in that sense. The people of different nations love each other. There weren't nations in quite the same way at that time, but there were Jews and Gentiles. And today, it's more, we're more likely to be tense around the idea of Americans in loving relationship with Christians, American Christians in loving relationship with Christians of a nation that our country is at war with, like Iraq perhaps. But in the body of Christ, American Christians, Iraqi Christians love each other, serve each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are wonderful stories of God providing the grace for people to, to, to do that, to break down barriers all around the world. Later on that same evening, he said a second thing I want you to notice, and this is in chapter 15. He goes on to say, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Don't read over that phrase too quickly, that your joy may be complete. One of God's desires for us is that our joy would be complete. That's why I said as we talk about these things that are not really ours, One of the reasons God gives them to us is so that our joy might be complete, that we would enjoy them. We're meant to enjoy the lives, the the human lives that he's given us. Moving on, my command, he says, is this, love each other as I have loved you. We heard that before. Greater love has no one than this, and here's, here's his definition of great love, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So again, he's echoing what he said in John 13, chapter 13. He says, love each other as I have loved you, and you are my friends if you, if you do this. But what does it mean to lay down your life for another person? Well, in Jesus' case, I think in a very dramatic way, he literally allowed himself to be killed for their benefit, for, our, for your benefit and my benefit. That's one way to lay down your life. But I think in in everyday life, laying down your life means more something like setting aside what you want to make room for what someone else wants, to set aside what you want to do to make room for what someone else wants to do. Or you might say putting someone else's interests ahead of your own, putting someone else's needs ahead of your own. So, for for example, in your household, maybe you're tired Maybe you're weary after a long day, but you set aside your desire for sleep in order to nurse a hungry child or to care for a sick child or to comfort a child or to comfort a spouse or someone else that you live with, your roommate perhaps. I'm tired, but I set that aside. I put the interests of another person ahead of my own. Maybe you want to watch a football game or a basketball game. You want to watch a movie but you set that aside, your desire aside, 
to serve your household, to serve the interests of the people around you by washing the dishes or by starting the laundry or doing another household chore. Maybe you want to read or play a video game or catch up on your email or work in your shop. And all of those are wonderful things, and it's fine to make time for them. But there are times where you set those aside for the interests of another person by listening to a child who needs to read or, or to help a child with their homework or resolving a conflict either with your spouse or with other, your roommate or somebody just saying, I don't, I'm going to avoid that, but I can't avoid it forever, so let's make time for it. I'm going to set aside my, my desires in the interests of my relationship with this other person. And similarly, in the body of Christ, we sometimes set aside our own interests for the interests of others. Maybe I want to buy a new car. I want to upgrade my car, but I, but I delay that so that I can use the money to provide for a, need, a brother or sister in need. Or maybe I, I want to enjoy the empty, empty nest phase of my life where uh, right now, you know, our ch- Nita and my children are grown and we have more time at home than we used to, when, or our time at home, I should say, is less, um, there are fewer claims on that time, I'll put it that way. And I think one of, the way, one of the things I realize is that I can just indulge myself with that time, or I can sometimes set that side of, use up some of that time to mentor someone else, ma- uh, provide marriage mentoring or individual mentoring for someone. Um, I, actually, by the way, I, I should just tell you, uh, several Sundays ago when the women were here from the Donegal schools, I think for maybe the third or fourth time, I heard them say what we've heard other people say, which is the most helpful thing your congregation can do for the schools is to send us mentors. And I finally, I said to myself, why am I not doing this? It t- it's, it's a half an hour, once a, once a week. And so just this past week, you can keep me accountable on this, just this past week, I st- turned in my paperwork so I can begin mentoring at, in the Donegal Public Schools. I have more time and flexibility to do that because I don't have children of my own who are in school at home. So depending on what the season of your life is, this looks different, as we talked about in an earlier sermon. But within the church, I might always want to see my, I might mostly enjoy seeing my family and friends, but maybe I put that aside to look out for people who aren't as well connected. And yeah, it's fine to have lunch or dinner with your family and friends, nothing wrong with that. But I think it's also good, to, as we love each other, to set that aside sometimes to look out for people who would welcome a chance to be better connected in our congregation. Moving on, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. Your translation of verse 15 there probably says, a servant does not know what his master is doing. And Jesus is here saying, but you know what I'm doing. You've watched what I do. You understand. They're about to understand more fully than they do at this moment. But he says, you understand my mission. You understand what I've been about. And I invite you into that. So you are no longer my servants. You are my friends. Moving on, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is like the third time I think I've read this to us this morning. Love each other. This is Jesus' primary command or his most basic command to his disciples. And in terms of what I'm talking about this morning, I think it also means, it just means you can't be a lone ranger in, in the following Jesus. I've invited uh, Nancy Angelini to come and tell us a bit of a story this morning about her engagement with relationships. So, Nancy, I'm going to invite you to come. 
I just want to, uh, as she's coming, to uh, reiterate that we all need spiritual, we also need basic human relationship, but we also need spiritual relationships. And I want to urge you this morning as we think about this to also be thinking about whether or not you are connected to people where you can talk freely and deeply about the journey that you're on of following Jesus. And if that's not something that you uh, have in place in your life right now, I'd urge you to seek that out. One of the ways we've tried to provide, well, one way we've tried to provide opportunity for that is to offer mentoring relationships for both men and women here in the congregation. But another way is to to invest in small groups. We have groups of different um, types of groups of functioning. Last year, Nancy and I and Nita and others were in a, a small group that met weekly, one of our weekly sermon discussion groups. And I asked Nancy to tell us a little bit of her experience of that. Good morning. Um, how often have you found yourself <laughs> reflecting midweek on your Sunday worship? Feelings of how wonderful the worship time was and the message fill you then all of a sudden you're like, hmm, what was that sermon about? Happened to you? Never, never. never. <laughs> it does to me. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't happen to you. Um, so last summer, when I first heard about the new plan for small groups, um, where we were going to review and discuss the Sunday sermon, I thought, wow, a great idea. I didn't do anything about it. Um, then as fall came closer... I received an invitation to one of these small groups. And I was very excited about that. There were 12 people in that small group, give or take. As we reviewed the sermon each week, I gained insight and perspective that doesn't come to me uh, just by listening on Sunday morning. I also gained a prayer team who I can pray for and who I know prays for me. Some of the things we interceded for each other were in relation to family dynamics, um, health crises, work-related situations, ministry opportunities, and even spiritual direction. We had a forum that we could share sensitive and personal topics and know that they were going to be kept confidential. We watched each other grow in our personal and spiritual lives and made new friends. We ended our season with a Memorial Day picnic and a hayride on the farm. It was a lot of fun. So I'm hoping that each one of you will seek out a small group this fall. Um, If you belong to a small group, please invite somebody. They might need a little coaxing like I did. Thank you. I want to end by inviting you to look back at the sheet and to uh, circle any of the X's or check marks that, um, where that relationship is one where you can share deeply with that person, where you have a deep spiritual friendship that this person knows uh, or that you trust this person with uh, confidential personal information where you are e- either offering or receiving encouragement, challenge, and able to uh, grow with them in, in a life of faith. 
So I invite you to, to do that, to just circle whatever X's or check marks you have there that, where the, you would describe it that way. And as Nancy said, if you, if you feel like a, a lack in your life of that kind of connection, I'd invite you to talk to someone here, talk to someone on our ministry team. If you want to join one of the, the small groups, you could talk with me or Pastor Ryan, who's coordinating those for us right now. But I would just urge you to use this opportunity to, to do a, like a Lone Ranger checkup in your life. Uh, a connectedness checkup and say, how well connected I am I both to other people and then to other Christians who are influencing me in really positive ways or where I'm influencing them in really positive ways. I invite you to use that as a tool uh, as you consider that prayerfully.